0: Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor-guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going.
1: i had been going back and forth to ghana for a while and so i went to ghana a couple months later and i was just riding around in a taxi and i was just looking at all the women and how like they had on these bright colors and i was like oh i can get some headbands made here you're listening to side hustle pro
2: the podcast that teaches you to build and grow your side hustle from passion project to profitable business. And I'm your host, Nikayla Matthews Okome. So let's get started. Before we jump into the episode, I want to shout out the Color Noir app. Color Noir is the first and only coloring book app devoted to all things melanin and black girl magic. It's created by Moyo and I, and we are so excited to see the impact it's already having. Thank you for sharing the designs that you've colored with us. Thank you for sharing the app. And if you haven't checked it out yet, head over to your iOS app store, search for Color Noir, that's color, N-O-I-R, and enjoy. And make sure you hit subscribe so you can get the new design drops each and every month. And don't worry, Android folks, we got you. It's coming so, so soon. Thank you for the support. Keep on coloring. Hey, hey guys, welcome, welcome back to the show. Today, we are back with another of what I like to call side hustle spotlight episodes. These are an episode where I feature a woman who is still very much in the side hustle grind or who just recently left her job to go full time. And that's the case with today's guest. Today's spotlight is Tamara Watkins, the founder of Loza Tam, an e commerce brand of satin lined head wraps that are handcrafted in Ghana by women entrepreneurs. Tamara has over 10 years of digital marketing experience, growth hacking, CPG, and beauty brands like Bevel, Form, Heat Free Hair, and now her own company, Loza Tam. She's traveled to 10 countries on the continent of Africa so far. And as you'll hear in this episode, it was when she went to Howard University that she fell in love with all things Africa. And after traveling to Ghana, the bold prints and colors just spoke to her. And she came up with the idea of having an African print satin line headband and head wrap turban. She's determined to build a business with women like the women in her family. And so she ensures that all of Loza Tam's products are crafted by women entrepreneurs so they can support their families and continue to plant the same seeds that were planted in her as a young adult. Tamara has grown Lozatam to be a six figure e commerce brand, and she is passionate about supporting and teaching other women how to generate revenue online. If you follow me on IG stories, you have seen me rock Lozatam turbans, okay? In my Instagram stories, I'm almost always wearing one um, if I'm not like going somewhere, or even when I am going somewhere, I like to wear them every single day to work out. So I'm excited to introduce you to Tamara's story. Let's get right into it. So, Tamara, welcome to the show. How are you doing, first and foremost?
1: Thank you. All is well. All is well. It's (laughs) Monday.
2: So I am so interested to hear about your journey. I know you went to the prestigious Howard University. How did that experience at the Mecca influence your initial career
1: path? Oh, my goodness mm I loved attending Howard, by the way. I got to interact with so many different people throughout the African diaspora. Um, mm-hmm. At Howard, you'll see so many different types of people. You'll meet them from all different types of background. And I think it definitely influenced me because I got to interact with people from Ghana, from Nigeria, from South Africa, Ethiopia. So um, it, it planted a few seeds that I I don't think I realized at the time. Um, but you know, as I was interacting with people and being curious about their cultures and their backgrounds, it definitely had a lot of um, influence on where I am today. Interesting. Isn't that so
2: funny? You know, people think and hear, especially those who really don't understand historically back colleges, and they think it's just this monolith. And even me, like wherever you grow up, you know, you are used to that That crowd. You're used to those people. And when you go to college, it's like, whoa, why are these Black Mm -hmm. people different than my Black people that I'm used
1: to? Yeah, because a town from a very, very, very small town in North Florida, like Mm -hmm. it's it's Trump country. And so we only saw... Um, I, I only interacted with either you were black or you were white. And and that was pretty much it. There was nothing in between except for what you would see on TV. Um, and that was probably, you know, poor. They were poorly depicted, um, e- even if they were on TV.
2: So now while you were at Howard, what did you study and what did you think you were going to be when you got out of school?
1: <laughs> oh, boy. Um, <laughs> so I have a degree in chemistry um however um i was supposed to be a pharmacist at this point i should have been like a pharmacist at your local retail pharmacy like CVS but that was not the plan that the universe had for me
2: <laughs> what did the universe do what the, what does the universe have to do with this
1: <laughs> <laughs> what happened <laughs> Oh, OK. Well, um, I started working in the pharmacy, the one right on, um, if anyone's in D.C., the one that's right on the corner of Georgia and Florida Avenue. It was actually across from that um, the big Howard Metro PCS store. Okay. Yeah, it's over there. It's the one where that speaker was. They had that speaker right, conflict with right. it. Yeah. Yep. So I worked at the pharmacy there for like two years. And I also um, part time I worked at the pharmacy at Children's Hospital when I didn't have shifts at the CVS. Um, and I hated it. I mean, I I love the pharmacists that I work with, but I just did not find what I was doing very boring. You know, I was essentially counting pills, and putting them in a bottle. Got it. Um, <laughs> and it and it wasn't a lot of fun for me. And a lot of my friends that were in business majors or like um fine arts majors, they seemed like they enjoyed going to class. Um, they enjoyed their assignments. I, on the other hand, did not. I I hated it, and I I struggled. If I'm if I'm being honest.
2: Oh, man. Now, what point did you decide that this is really not going to be the path for me? So I need to do something else and then actually start doing something else.
1: So um, let's see my I believe my junior year, I decided that it wasn't a path for me. But at that point, I was too far into student loan debt. I you know, paid for college myself. And so I knew I couldn't really change my major, so I just slightly did, I did a slight pivot. So I did, I switched from pre-pharmacy because the plan was to do the two year undergrad um, program and then take the PCAT exam and then go straight into pharmacy school. Um, But I took the PCAT, did horribly, I mean, ugh. (laughs) <laughs> I remember when I got my scores back, I did so, so poor that I looked at them once and I just put them in my glove compartment of my car. Oh, no. key, <laughs> Won't be needed these again. <laughs> and I, I never looked at them again, ever. I don't even know what I got. Cause I, I looked at it once and I was like, whoa. And I just put them in my glove compartment. So at that point I knew that it wasn't something that I wanted to d- really continue to pursue just because it just wasn't my calling. And I think I decided to um, pursue pharmacy initially because of lack of exposure to other career paths, like where I'm from. And I don't know if a lot of other um, African-Americans can relate to this, but where I'm from, like you have four career paths in life. You're either going to be a medical professional, which is typically, you know, like a a, doc- a doctor of some sort, right. right. Um, in academia, uh, an attorney, or you're going to go in the military. And so those were the four options that I was presented with, but I didn't know anything about being a chief marketing officer or entering into dig- digital marketing or, or marketing or being a computer programmer or anything mm-hmm. like that. Um, so, but I did have an interest in beauty. And even when I was in college, like um, I would. Go through and clip the uh, Vogue magazine out and put together little lookbooks and paste them on the outside of my dorm door, and my friends thought it was funny and cute because I would do it every week. So it would be like Tamara's look of the week. And So I would cut out, you know, different looks and I'd be like, Oh, this should be your fashion inspiration. <laughs> so, but I was ha- I had a, a interest in beauty, so I decided that I wanted to work at Mac. And um, I went and I applied. I had really kind friends that let me practice makeup on them. And so um, I started working at MAC out at uh, the Pentagon City Mall. And that kind of took me on this weird path. And I started like doing uh, makeup for magazines. And I eventually met uh, this guy who was a publisher of a magazine. And he offered me a, like an internship. And um, I just finished school, so I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. But I had a lot of strong opinions about the website. And he, you know, he was an old school print magazine guy, so he didn't really know what to do with the website. It was just kind of like the stepchild of the magazine. (laughs) And he, he let me do whatever the heck I wanted to do. And so I was like, I just learned a lot. Um, and that's what built my foundation in digital marketing and from there I went to another company and then eventually um, I w- became like the digital marketing director of a um Vitamin and supplement company like before 30, which was I thought was a huge accomplishment. Yeah, that is. Uh, um, Yeah, I was I was, you know, quite surprised. My family, they were so proud. And then I went on to um, work for Walker and Company, which are, you know, uh, devil and, and form. And that's where our paths crossed. And I met you through your work as a
2: digital marketer. You know, we've communicated there. Mm-hmm. Tell us about your experience, as you say, growth hacking, some of these beauty brands. And I noticed that these brands were all kind of young startups by black founders. Mm-hmm. Is that what you look for in clients? Yes.
1: I, I I always say I have to be a customer before I can take on the client, because if I can't get in the head of a customer, understand who they are, because really it's it's more than selling a product. It's how does that product fit into the lifestyle, into the psyche of the customer? And if I can't put myself in that seat, then I'm not the, the marketer for the job.
2: So well, while you were at Walker & Company, what were you responsible for? How were you uh, working to grow their brand?
1: So I was responsible for online acquisition and retention. So um, on the acquisition side, primarily it was um, paid social channels, um, really studying the customer, um, going through the database and looking for trends in the data to see if there were anything that anything that jumped out at me so that I could take that information and introduce it into our marketing strategy and on the retention side is you know now that we've acquired the customer how do we get them to come back and purchase with us over and over and over again so you had this
2: inside view into how these brands from hair extensions to hair products itself you know i know you worked with heat free hair a bit you worked with walker and company what were some of the biggest lessons that you learned that you now carry over into your own business
1: Um, it's more than the product. (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's never really about the product, you know, in a way. Yes. You know, what, what solution is a problem, the product solving, but it is, who is this customer? What do they care about? What philosophical, um, needs do they have that connect them to the brand and connect them to the product?
2: And then, you know, often as a consumer, especially as a black woman consumer, right, you have tried so many products. We will do what it takes to find what works for our hair, but we also have to trust that it's for our hair. We have to Mm -hmm. really believe that this is not just, you know, some brand not owned by us jumping in on the wave and that this is really about us. Right. Um, Did you ever struggle with that as you were marketing to really help your customer to trust the company?
1: Um, hmm. You know what? I, I wouldn't say that that was something that we ran into because I think the founders had already built the trust in the community and Mm -hmm. people trusted them. So people really trusted Tristan, people rooted for Tristan. And the same thing, if we look at Heat for Here, like people love N'Gazi, like women love her, they look up to her. And so because they had already built such a strong brand in themselves as individuals, that part was pretty easy. All right. So then... What made you decide to start side hustling, especially when you're
2: working for beloved brands that you're a customer of, that you believe in, that you trust? What made you decide to start doing your own thing on the side? Uh,
1: so I started Lozatam went in back in 2016 when I was a marketing director at um, a vitamin and supplement company, and I started it. It was completely accident, honestly. Um, I was in a Bikram yoga class with my friend and I had on a headband, you know, one of those headbands with like the silicone strips in there. Yep. And I had my, my fro out. I have big curly hair, big kinky curly hair. And I was um, in a Bikram yoga class. I was doing a downward dog. And despite having on this headband, my hair was doing a downward dog too. <laughs> and... I don't know if anyone's ever done Bikram yoga, but it's hot as I don't know what in the room and sweat is dripping down your face. You're you're slightly irritated, even though you're really trying to be at peace. (laughs) And the last thing you want is your hair in your face. And so I just kept thinking, like, man, I got to get a new headband. And so I was like, as soon as the class is over, I'm going to Target And I'm going to get a new headband. And I I thought of all the things that I wanted this head, all the features that I wanted this headband to have. And so I'm strolling down the aisles of Target and, you know, I go down the, quote, ethnic hair care aisle, thinking that, you know, this product had already, you know, is in existence. And I didn't see I wanted something that was like satin lined. You know, is it too much to ask that it doesn't rip my hair out? Um, And if it could hold up to all of my hair. But I didn't see it. And I was just like, oh, I'll just look online. So I did a couple Google searches didn't find anything yes and I I kind of just dropped it but I had been going back and forth to Ghana for a while and so I went to Ghana a couple months later and I was just riding around in a taxi and I was just looking at all the women and how like they had on these bright colors and I was like oh I can get some headbands made here I the the plan was for me to make the headbands for myself you know
2: and were, were you in Ghana for fun at this point just visiting.
1: Yeah. Okay. I was just visiting. It was just, you know, I made a couple friends there and I just liked to go there and hang out. It was like my vacation spot. And so I I bought like I wanted to have two different prints. And so I bought like, you know, the, the um, amount of fabric that it comes in, which is like 6 yards of fabric. I didn't need, you know, 6 yards worth of headbands. So, you know, I I just produced them and I just told the women that I was working with to um you know, make as many as they could just so the fabric wouldn't be wasted. And I came back home to the U.S. I had my headband and it was like I said, it was just for me. And I kept looking at them like the excess. I put them in a corner. I kept looking at them and something inside of me just kept saying, Samira, you should really put those on Etsy, you know, like don't, don't waste them. Mm-hmm. So after like three months of those headbands looking at me in the corner, I get my little, um, I had an Android phone at the time. I bought like a piece of white paper and I photographed it on my phone and I put it up on Etsy. And then three days later or about three days later, I don't want to make this sound like some overnight, you know, success story, but roughly three days later, um, I got a sale Actually I think I got like two or three sales like 3 3 or 4 days later okay. and I was like holy crap like who, who wanted to buy this I actually thought it was my friends but <laughs> when I looked up the email address I was like I don't know these people <laughs> And I was excited. And so I, I started getting, you know, sales on Etsy. And I started thinking to myself, like, okay, if I can get s- sales without me putting any marketing effort behind it, you know, how many sales can I get if I actually did put some marketing effort behind it, considering that my background is in e-commerce marketing. Mm-hmm. So I built the website and, you know, th- three years later, we're, we're still here.
2: Was it called Lozatam at that point?
1: yes. And so this was just a headband at this point.
2: This wasn't the turbans.
1: No, it was just our flagship product was just the headbands. The turbans came later because I was... um trying to tie a head wrap and I just was having a difficult time. <laughs> and so I was just <laughs> thinking to myself and on top of that, I had to, it was just too many steps. You know, I had to put on my satin scarf because I'm very particular about what I put <laughs> on my uh-huh. hair. So I had to find my satin scarf first, right? And then you have to find your head wrap and then you have to figure out how to tuck it and tie it and pull it and do all kind of, you know, complex math problems to, to get it to look how you want it to look. <laughs> so <laughs> I was just like, there has to be an easier way. <laughs> and that's how I came up with the, the satin line head wrap that's already pre-dyed. Ah,
2: Now, who was making these headbands and these tamps? I'm a little bit confused. Like, how are you producing and manufacturing? And then, you know, you weren't in Ghana all the time. So how did you keep on being able to service the customers and and provide enough inventory.
1: Uh, well, due to the magic of the internet, <laughs> um, <laughs> I was able to communicate with my team over there because once I decided that this was something that had some legs, yes, I got a group of women um, through my network over there mm-hmm. and, you know, we came up with the design um, and then I would constantly order. So initially, you know, it was like, oh, somebody's coming from Ghana. Um, who, hey, can can you put these in your suitcase and and bring them over? And then, you know, like maybe they lived in California and then they would ship them to me once they got to California or Mm -hmm. sometimes, you know, they were transiting through DC and I would have to drive all the way out to the airport, pick these, you know, um, headbands up and then, you know, put them back up online and sell them. Um, now it's a lot more sophisticated (laughs) There's custom brokers and people like that to pay now. And, um, but, Yeah, it was just just the Internet, um, just using WhatsApp and and, in PowerPoint uh, presentations and things like that to uh, communicate with my team. To break it down. okay? okay. Yeah. And wait, what are custom brokers? Because that sounded like
2: what above my
1: head? (laughs) So if you import products into the United States of America, um, you have to pay. Um, taxes on that based on, you know, like the value of the product. So you need typically you can you can if it's under a certain amount, you can clear it yourself. But if it's over a certain amount, you have to hire a customs broker in order to clear it through customs for you.
2: Ah, you know, so many people run into issues with customs. So I'm glad that you broke that down. And then as far as your inventory, do you also have like a storage facility? Is this all coming? Are you fulfilling orders out of your home?
1: Oh no, Um, (laughs) I can't do that anymore.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But in the beginning, in the beginning, were you doing that out of your house?
1: oh yes you know what I used to do it out of my trunk because I remember once um, this was like the first year um, I was in business it was in July and I was getting ready to go on a girls trip to Miami um, with my with my girlfriends and all of a sudden I'm in a meeting and this is when I was at the vitamin and supplement company I'm in a meeting and I keep hearing my phone it just keeps buzzing and buzzing and buzzing and I'm like I'm thinking I'm on a group chat and it's my girlfriends like it's just a bunch of chatter about the trip and so I when I get out of the meeting, I look at my phone. I'm a little annoyed because I'm like, geez, like, aren't you ladies at work, too? <laughs> and so I, I look at my phone and it's all of these orders. And I didn't understand like how it was at least like 40 or 50 orders. Wow. And I at this point, I was used to feeling like, you know, maybe two orders a day. So to go from two orders a day to 50 orders in a single day, it was like, holy Moli. And the orders kept coming in. And I realized natural 85, she had put up a post wearing the headband and tagged us in it on Instagram. And so it generated all of these orders. And so I had to keep going. Um, I, at this time, I was driving around with the headbands in my car. And so I had to keep going back and forth to my car and counting the headbands because I was so afraid of overselling that I had to, every time I got a sell, I would have to go, you know, count, okay, I have a sale for pink uh, for a pink headband. And so I go, I have one, two, three, four, five, six, six headbands left. Okay, good. So I would have to keep doing that. And I know my boss at the time was like, why does she keep having to <laughs> excuse herself to go to her car? <laughs> wow and i was getting ready to go to miami the next day so mm-hmm. i had to hurt, rush home and go and fill all of these orders before i left because i wanted people to you know get them in a in a reasonable amount of time
2: now how long were you side hustling at that initial company before you moved into working with like walker and company and he free hair did you just go freelance at that point when you left
1: um so initially i Thought that the company was doing well enough to where I could just concentrate it on, concentrate on it full time, and so I put in a notice at that um, vitamin and supplement company in January, and it was just January where, way what year of twenty seventeen?
2: Okay, and you founded Lozatam in twenty sixteen. Yes. Okay.
1: So I put in a notice at, at like two a.m. in the morning, and my <laughs> boss was just like. Because at this time, no one at the company, at my company, knew what I was doing. I -hmm. I kept it under wraps because, you know, I. I don't know. I just was super secretive, I guess. I don't know. But I would typically get up. I would get to work at 6 a.m. in the morning and do work on Lozatam and then at 10 o'clock switch over to working for my full time job and then stay late from like 6 until 10 again and work more on Lozatam. But I I just I got so tired of doing that and I felt like I was I could make enough money or at least match what I was making at my full-time job um, to where I could go it off on my own. So I sent my my boss at the time a, a notice at 2 a.m. that I was going to be leaving the company. And I remember sitting down in her office um, the next day and she was like, well, Tamara, what are you going to do? And I was like, I don't know, because <laughs> I had booked a one-way ticket to Ghana and I was just going to go to Ghana and just figure out, you know, how to expand my production and that was it. But, you know, I, I told her I didn't know because I really didn't have like a super clear plan. I just knew I was going to Ghana and, and that was it. I didn't I hadn't planned anything really beyond that. Had
2: you saved at that point? and And, you know, were you making that much revenue, like, you know, enough to match at that point? Or were you just like, if I quit, I know, you know, the hours I was putting in here, I'll be able to.
1: Um, I had saved a little, but it definitely it was probably enough for like three to four months of um my rent, but that was really it. I, I you know what, looking back on it, um, some people may disagree. I felt like that wasn't that was a less than smart decision, um, but you know. I'm a risk taker. I've always been a risk taker. In life. <laughs> that's just that's just my programming. But, you know, so to someone who is a bit more practical, I don't think they would have made that decision at that time.
2: So you book a one way ticket to Ghana.
1: Uh huh. What happened next? So what happened was um, I ended up applying to Walker on a fluke, like just on like, mm, let me see if I, you know, can get this job. And they reached out to interview me and next thing i knew i had another job <laughs> <laughs> how much
2: time how much time elapsed between when you quit and when you applied for walker
1: um i think i i applied for walker when i was still there okay but i in, they ended up reaching out to me like in that transition period. Mm-hmm. And they wanted me to start like ASAP, but I was like, hold up, hold up. I already booked this ticket to Ghana. So, you know, I'm going to Ghana for like three three weeks and I'll be back and then I'll start. So I came I came from back from Ghana, had to pack up my apartment in Maryland and move across the country to California.
2: So you were going to work full time. I thought you were contracting, you know, out of your own consulting kind of thing.
1: Yeah, well, I originally I worked there full time, but when I went to California, I didn't like it, and so I was, stayed in California. Don't laugh. Where in California? <laughs> Where? <laughs> in the Bay, because I didn't like in, the Bay either. Yeah, I was in Palo Alto. Oh, I
2: was, I was in Palo Alto too. Oh, Hated really? it.
1: Yes, <laughs> I miss. I I I really miss black people. Yeah. I oh, I did. Girl, listen. I didn't
2: know how much I needed just a little bit, just just a little, little bit of brown color, every right? every day in my day.
1: <laughs> yeah, and it and I, you know, I so I worked at probably the only black company there, but mm-hmm. it still wasn't enough. After I left work right, and on the right. weekends, and I loved my coworkers. They actually, honestly, they kept me. So sane. So shout out to you know the people that walker there for like keeping me sane while I was out there. But I decided that I could no longer stay there, and that I missed BC so much that I was going to move back. So, and how um, long I was t- that that you were there? <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm already laughing. At it was two months. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, that's all it takes, guys. No shades of Palo Alto. It's not for everybody. All right, and yeah. that's about all it takes.
1: Yeah. And so from (laughs) there, you know, I was expecting, I went and I talked to Tristan and I was like, listen, I love this company. I love what you guys are doing. I love what we're working on, but I can't stay here. And I was fully expecting him to be like, okay, well, thanks for your service. Uh (laughs) And he wasn't, he was like, okay, you know, we want to keep you. So, you know, we will just transition you from a full-time employee to a contractor. And so that's when I started consulting.
2: Much respect, much respect to him for that. So, yeah. okay, so you move back to D.C. now. You're still working on Loza Tam. How are you juggling this life?
1: It was very difficult because, um, you know, when you're working for a startup, my company was a startup, Walker & Co. was a startup, and the other clients that I took on were startups. It's very demanding. Um, I think what was in my, uh, what was beneficial to me was a time difference. So, um, you know, there's this since California is three hours behind, I could get up and I could work on, on my um, project on Lozatam from like, you know, 6 a.m. to like 12. And at 12 o'clock my time, it would be everyone would just be getting into the office out in California. So it, that worked in my favor. Um, but then, you know, I te- technically wouldn't stop working until like nine o'clock at night. And then I would work back on, you know, my own business.
2: And what made you take on more than one client? Um, the need for money, <laughs> <laughs> so Sam just it was making enough, but not not even making enough, it was making some, but still not enough to cover you completely
1: right yeah it and what and I was at that point, I just decided that quitting back then just wasn't the best decision. And I think I was just beating myself up about it because, you know, like picking up and moving across the country, like all that takes, you know, a lot of money. So it it was just like, you know, I I didn't plan for that. And so I was just like, okay, Tamara, you have to be a lot wiser and you need to, basically I'm making up for a deficit that I was in from having to move from, you know, California to from Maryland to California right. and then from California back to Maryland. Exactly. Exactly.
2: Hey, guys, it's Michaela here with a quick word from our sponsor. So the number one question I get about side hustling is how do I get started? And the other day I decided to kind of take inventory of what I was doing in my early days of side hustling. How did I get started with Side Hustle Pro? And the biggest thing that stood out to me is that I was always investing in skill and personal development. And I like to do just in time learning. So when I was ready to do something new or try something else, I would invest in a class to learn that skill and then practice implementing it. So the rest of my development and learning came from my actual experience. So I highly recommend you do the same. What is it that you wanna do? Do you wanna finally put up your website? Then head over to Skillshare and take a class on putting up your website. Do you want to get started with social media and you're not sure how to start? head over to Skillshare and start taking some classes. Skillshare is so great because it's an online learning community, it has over 25,000 classes in anything you can think of from photography to entrepreneurship, even podcasting. And right now they are offering a special offer just for Side Hustle Pro listeners. You can get two months of unlimited access to Skillshare for free. Imagine what you can do in two months, how many classes you can take, but remember to do the implementation piece, all right? So head over to Skillshare.com slash Side Hustle Pro. That's Skillshare.com slash Side Hustle Pro to get started with your two free months. And one more time, that's Skillshare.com slash Side Hustle Pro. Tell us a little bit and give us some perspective on the operating expenses for Loza Tam. So how big were your staff? Were you paying for any kind of overhead at this point?
1: Well, the only, over, the only overhead initially and even up to like a year ago was like, you know, um, rent, um, marketing expenses, which were pretty hefty at the time, just because you're a newer company, you're trying to, you have to pay for exposure. Um, so, and I was doing a lot of, um, marketing via paid socials, sending a lot of product to influencers, um, also paying for product. So at that point I, switched over from ordering like you know 25 units at a time or, or so to like you know each each order that I'm ordering now is like 5000 units so that's <laughs> it the, the cost just went up especially like on product labor um importing products into the country which I was saying paying customs brokers and and taxes and duties um so everything just
2: increased So at what point did that change? At what point did you say that you're going to quit again and this time be ready for it?
1: Um, When I realized my sanity was at risk, I was just like, okay, you cannot serve two masters. And I had to pick one. And at this point, it was just like, okay, Tamara, like you're going to have to grind it out. Like there may be some times where you can't shop at Whole Foods. You have to, (laughs) 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 it was just me deciding to make certain, you know, lifestyle changes. Okay. And once I said, okay, like, you know, you, you might have to shop at this place and, or, or not travel as much. Um, I said, okay, I can do it for this amount of time. And if I can't adjust after this time period, then it may mean that, you know, I can go look for another job because the thing is, is, and this is, this is a risk taker in me, in my head, I can always find another place of employment, but I feel like the window is small to enter the market for whatever idea that you do have.
2: That's a good way to look at it. I mean, I think oftentimes I hear people kind of holding off on their idea and I can relate to that in that the one thing I kind of realized as I started on this entrepreneurial journey is that. The world waits for no one. So, no one. you know, it's very presumptuous to think that, OK, when I'm ready to start this in four years, like the market will still be the same. The demand mm-hmm. will still be the same. People will still be interested. So you really got to strike while the iron is hot, you know. I agree. Um, and that includes podcasting. You guys, those of you who want to start a podcast.
1: <laughs> I just thought of that. <laughs> <laughs> I agree because right. and then there more they, there may be more players that have entered the market and they yes. already have market share.
2: Yep, yep, yep. And and speaking of that, you know, there are other people making especially now, you know, African print, Ankara print head wraps right Mm -hmm. now i will say yours is the very first one that i was attracted to because nikaela has no time for diy i'm just not into it like i don't want to i don't want to watch a tutorial about how to tie my (laughs) head wrap i just want to put it on my head okay (laughs) so (laughs) talk to us about that differentiation piece and and you know how you decided what your signature thing was going to be
0: Hmm.
1: Well, I would I would say the key thing that makes us different is that we do produce our products directly in Ghana. Um, so, you know, while a lot of the prints, you know, they are African prints, a lot of times um, those prints aren't produced in on the continent of Africa. Right, a lot right. of times they're produced in China and then they're imported to different countries. Um and our products are produced by Ghanaian women. So, you know, whenever someone makes a purchase with us, the women there that are entrepreneurs, like they their families directly benefit from that purchase. And and I use the word entrepreneur um, very strategically because a lot of times, you know, you have brands out there That I guess you can say have done a good job of like this cause type marketing where it's just like every time you buy a pair of X product, a percentage of this goes to a charity or something like that. But when you buy our products, you know, it goes directly to women in Ghana that are producing. Wait, what do you mean by that?
2: What's the difference between their percentage and your percentage?
1: So they don't get a percentage percentage. Basically, we negotiate on a price per product produced. Okay. And so it's just basically, basically they are women entrepreneurs. So just like if you um, were a consultant Mm -hmm. and you have a client and you tell your client, hey, you know, the amount, my hourly rate is this much, that that's the relationship. Got it.
2: And I'm glad that you, you know, you clarified the difference there.
1: I, and I think it's important because a lot of times people think of, of charity and, and while, you know, I am a fan of charitable giving, I just think it's important to also, I, I always feel like the narrative is, you know, charity when it comes to um. People who live on the continent of Africa, right? right. And I, I honestly, these are business women. Yeah, yeah, these are business women. They're astute women, just no different than you, me, or any other woman that you've interviewed on this podcast. And I feel like we owe it to them to respect them and call them entrepreneurs and business women.
2: Exactly. And speaking of that, now there are a lot of business owners who their priority is just getting the highest margin, and sometimes that means they will try to take shortcuts or work with the cheapest vendor or what have you, you know, what? Are, what is your view on that when you are working with savvy entrepreneurs and then those that's going to cut into your margin?
1: Oh, man. One thing I've learned is there are no shortcuts. Honestly, you will pay for the shortcuts. Yes. Um, I have paid for the shortcuts and I've learned my lesson So, um, you know, go ahead and try it. Hopefully, you know, shortcuts work for you, but they just have not. (laughs) What what were some of the things you tried? Was it like,
2: you know, working with trying to get fabric somewhere else?
1: Um, Well, no, not trying to get fabric somewhere else. Just being... um, trying to be frugal and not having to go to Ghana as much and take the time to really invest in product development. Mm. So like, I remember when I first wanted to introduce the turban, the turban took like two years, really, um, well, like, sorry, a year and a half for me to really come out with it because I was supposed to come out with it six months earlier than I I did. But because I didn't want to invest the money in order to travel to Ghana to sit with um, the, the, the team in order to create the, the the product, I was trying to do it over WhatsApp. <laughs> so I was trying to, I was like sketching out, you know, products and sending it to my team. And, you know, it seemed like we got it, but, you know, communication is really like one of the foundations of doing business, especially right. doing business with two different cultures. And so, you know, we thought we got it down. And then, you know, I got the product here. And actually, I shipped the product via Ghana Post, which is Ghana's equivalent of the post office, which um, probably isn't the best
2: method. <laughs> I mean, our post office <laughs> is not even that great, right? You, yes. Right? Listen, <laughs> so I can't yes, even imagine. So I
1: shipped the Ghana Post. And I thought I was, you know, I what thought I was Ghana being post savvy. Because like? like, I, I thought I was saving <laughs> money, right? Like, it was $58 to send, like, I don't know. 25 pounds worth of product here. So I was like, $58. Like, you can't beat that. I'm smart, you know? <laughs> so I get it. It takes like 90 days for me to get the product, right? What? That was already 60 days over what I estimated. What? And <laughs> when I get the product, I'm so excited that it's finally here because it's hot, the peak of the holiday season, right? And people had already placed orders for the product. And when I get it, I'm so, I like, I rip the box open like it's Christmas. I take the products out, I put it on my head, it doesn't fit. Uh. It's like two sizes too small. It was made for like infant heads. And I just cried. Oh, man. It was all because I was trying to take shortcuts and I had to refund money. I had to refund people's money and I just, I cried. And at that point I was really like, okay, Maybe this isn't for you, but I was just like, "No, you just were trying to take shortcuts you th- There are no shortcuts in business period <laughs>
2: that that right there, oh my gosh, that right there that hits me because I know that um sometimes when you see the cost of doing things with excellence, you're like, ooh." <laughs> ouch, do I really, really want to do that? So had you pre-sold the turbines? hmm mm. Yes. And so that's and a I lesson for us too sometimes. <laughs> yeah, and the pre-selling bit. Because you, you hadn't even gotten your sample yet, or was that just you had the sample, but then once you got the final product, it was not cutting it?
1: I had gotten a sample,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but I had not really... I, I think... I'm trying to remember what happened here, but I believe the the product specifications were not documented. Mm. And so everyone was operating off of memory, oh. which we know, we know how good that is, right? Right.
2: <laughs> so true. what did you do differently <laughs> to finally get the product to market?
1: Uh, so I flew to Ghana and I stayed there for a month. And every single day I went to the production facility and we sat down and I... We just made samples until we got it right. And it took about at least a week and a half to get it right. And then from there, it was selecting prints that would look good with the design of the product. It was selecting fabric that had some stretch in it that, you know, you could could put on and testing it out on different size heads to make sure like, okay, this is the measurement that will fit the average woman's head with voluminous curly hair, I might add. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Now, as you were in Ghana, were you still
2: side hustling at this point or did you just have to quit?
1: No, I was still side hustling. How did you do that from Ghana? Ooh, I don't know. Um, you know what? I, I really do not know. It, I guess it was just determination. Just me saying, OK, this is what it is. You're just going to have to figure it out. Right. So the the time difference probably kinda helped. So during a day I could be out at the production facility and then, you know, in California or in the States, it was still early. The business day hadn't gotten started yet. And by the time I finished up, then I was able to get online. Now the internet connectivity could sometimes be a challenge. So my internet, you know, would be in and out. But I made it work. And did you tell
2: your clients that you were going to Ghana for thirty days?
1: Um I think I did. Yeah, I did. Okay. Because so, I think they were pretty understanding about like, you know, me there being like a delayed response. Mm-hmm. As long as, you know, I got whatever I needed to get done, you know, there wasn't really an issue. Okay.
2: And so how did you go about really marketing Loza Tam? Because I can't even remember when I first came across it. I knew we were in communication and I, as soon as I saw it, I was like, yes, somebody finally made a pre-made one and it's cute, but... <laughs> As a strategic marketer, I'm curious to hear your process of going to market.
1: Um, so initially, because I was operating on um, just income from my own personal um, income, I did a lot of influencer marketing. So mm-hmm. I reached out to, you know, if you had any type of following, I don't care if you had 20 people followed you, I would go through and be like, oh, she only have 20 followers, but she got 20 likes. That means all 20 people are engaged with this, you know, with this influencer.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Um, so, you know, that's that's initially how I went about it. And then once the business started generating more money, because my background is in e-commerce, I started building out like email strategy. And then from there, once the business started generating even more money, then I could do more like paid media type stuff. And now, you know, I have a, a PR person and, um, that I contract with to, you know, go and meet with them. Um, Publishers, But at first, that was something that I used to do. Like last summer, I remember I took a week and I went up to New York just to meet with editors of magazines. Yeah, of
0: ma- magazine editors. Yeah. Oh, wow.
2: Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com dot com slash banking for business to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America NA. Copyright twenty twenty four. So I like the fact that you break down that staged approach. You know, because there are things you can do when you don't have the money yet. Then there are things you can do once money starts coming in, and. How do you feel about brand ambassadors and influencer marketing today? Now, um, is it something that small businesses who are just starting out should invest in? And if so, how do you go
1: about it? Um, I would say, yes, I do still think it's worth it, but only because people need to see the product on a human that looks like them, that they right. can relate to. And so, you know, when with brands, a lot of times you'll take these pretty branded images and they look great, but, you know, typically you want to see like, if let's just say, for example, you go in New York and company and you see, you see a pair of jeans that you like, but the person that the jeans are photographed on, she's like five, nine and 125 pounds. I don't look like that. So I want to see the jeans on someone who is five, seven and a half. And, you know, that's a size six. So it's just like, you know, how do you show the customer what the product can look like on them? And so that's where I think the benefit of um, influencer marketing comes in. And
2: how do you um, go about it? Especially when you said you, you did that when you had less money. So how do you respect people and, you know, don't have them bristle at like, oh, you're just sending me product or, you know, what's your approach
1: Sometimes I'll just send them product. It it depends. You know, if if they I, I'll always ask if they just wanna uh, want the product because some sometimes people they're they're not interested in really receiving money. They they just want the product because that's you know, they're not interested in becoming like a full time influencer. They probably have a job that they're happy with and it's just like I like this product, sure I'll wear I'll wear it. Other times, you know, people are trying to build um a brand around themselves as being an influencer and that's where there may be some compensation Im- involved, okay. but it's, it's, it's on a case by case basis. Got it. And typically I look for the influencer to guide me on, you know, what type of relationship they want it to be. Okay. All right.
2: That is helpful. So now what would you say has been the hardest challenge and how have you pushed past that or how are you working through it?
1: Ooh, Lots of challenges. I don't know if I can say I have one that is the hardest. Um, so can I give you a couple? <laughs> oh, yes. Feel free. Do, do we have time for We that? have time. Um, so one I would say is communication. Um, I am... I, I, always, I haven't always been the best communicator, and it's something that I'm working on, and I realize like, there's no such thing as over-communicating, because you, you can assume that someone understands what you mean. So for an example, in Ghana, the color navy is called blue-black, and <laughs> I would always refer to the color as navy, okay. and so when I would, and my team wouldn't know what that meant, so I... I had to break that down. And it seems like, you know, a little insulting to say that you had to break it down. But it's just always making sure you're on the same exact, not only on the same page, but you guys are reading on the same paragraph and on the same line number. Mm -hmm. Um, Because otherwise you're just leaving room for errors that really just could have been avoided had you just communicated a little bit more about it. Um, also the other challenge would probably have to be like having to make certain lifestyle changes. Um, the reality of entrepreneurship is that it takes a lot of money and, you know, without capital, a great idea is just a great idea. And so if you're not willing to make the investment in your business, um, then you probably shouldn't go into it because there are going to have to be certain lifestyle changes that you will have to make if you want to see the business grow if you don't have external investment. So for me, that meant, like I was saying earlier, like, no, you can't go shop at Whole Foods (laughs) and spend $200 a week on groceries or, you know, maybe you won't be able to travel as much with your friends. Um, So, you know, you should take those things into consideration prior to going into business Um, and just understanding what your appetite for risk is. I, I would say I have a high appetite for risk, but um, I just had to make certain lifestyle changes. And then the other hard thing is entrepreneurship can be very lonely. Um, a, a lot of times, like I'm, I work, by myself most of the time because I have like contractors that you know live all over the world, mm-hmm. um, and so a lot of times I'm home by myself, like pecking away at my laptop into the wee hours of the morning, and you know my friends have very structured lives. You know it's you know go to work at nine o'clock, off at six o'clock, and, and uh, you know there's not a lot of people that can relate to that, and you. You, you have highs and lows. You know, one day you get a great press mention in Allure magazine, and then for the next 30 days, it's crickets. Mm-hmm. And so you're just like, oh, I'm a failure. What am I doing? You know, I'm going into bankruptcy. You know, you start thinking all these crazy thoughts that really that don't have any, <laughs> any logic to them. But it's just, you know, entrepreneurship is a lonely journey. And if you're the type of person that needs people around constantly, I don't know if it is uh, for you unless you're willing to take the plunge and hire full-time employees. Mm. So
2: um, we know that, you know, Tamara had to uh, go back to working. We know you took on a lot of clients and you were finding a way to juggle to just maintain that while you were building your business. But then we also know, well, I know that you finally went full-time again last year. So tell us what, what went into that decision. Why did you decide to leave?
1: Um, sanity. I just realized I was just going crazy and I couldn't do it all. Like I needed sleep. (laughs) You know, I needed some free time. I needed balance. And I was literally working all of the time. And it just came to a point where I just felt unhappy. And I was just like, you know, you cannot serve two masters, pick one and, and go with that just know that, you know, whichever one you you pick, there are going to be consequences for for either. So, you know, if I decide to go with Lozatan, that means I have to make lifestyle changes and things are going to be a little bit lonely and hard.
2: And what does your team look like today? You said, you mentioned contractors. Are these contractors now helping you to fulfill orders or is it still something that you have your hands on primarily?
1: I still have my hands on it primarily, although I am in the process of training someone to do it full-time. Um, especially because now I am starting to travel a little bit more. So it just makes sense um, for me to just hand that off to someone else. And then I have a PR person. I have an email person. But I have my hands in, you know, all of it. It's just it's more of a supervisory, um, you know, vision uh, role.
2: And not everyone, you know, makes money and is able to make that decision that you did. Not everyone's profitable. Talk to us about your experience. You know, where are you now? Are you profitable and how are you ensuring that your business continues to grow?
1: So the business has actually been profitable since the beginning. So yes, the business is profitable and I'm ensuring that the business continues to grow by getting help <laughs> because a year ago I was trying to do everything myself. So like I said, I was going up to New York, meeting with publishers, magazine publishers. Um, I was doing the emails. Um, I was I, I, was doing the product development and I actually still am, but it's just starting to um, assign people to work on those things that are, you know, of course, qualified to do so, so that I can focus on increasing profitability and more, more long-term visions in terms of product development.
2: Alrighty. So we are now going to jump into the lightning round where you just answer the very first thing that comes to mind. Are you Ready? All right. Hit me. All right. Number one, what was a resource that helped you while you were side hustling that you can share with the Side Hustle Pro audience?
1: Guys, this is better than any university you will ever go to. YouTube.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I got this this new ish for you. All right. Um, (laughs) What's been the best business book that you've consumed this year or in life?
1: Um, Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. He's the founder of Nike. All right.
2: Number three, who is a black woman side hustler that motivated you along your journey and why?
1: Um, I She's not doing this as a side hustle, but probably Ngazi of heat free hair. Like I really just respect, you know, everything that she has built with her company. All right. Number four, what is a personal habit
2: that has helped you significantly in your business? Exercise. Um, <laughs> I think it keeps me sane. All right. And finally, what is your parting advice for fellow side hustlers who want to be in your shoes, want to go full time, but may be stuck, may be discouraged, may not think it's possible?
1: Um, really have a conversation with yourself to decide if entrepreneurship is really for you. Like if you have a high appetite for a risk, risk, um, go for it. But if you don't, you may want to enter um, and tread with, tread with caution.
2: So where can people connect with you and Loza Tam after this episode?
1: Uh, so you guys can visit our website, lozatam.com. That's L-O-Z-A-T-A-M.com. And on Instagram, it's Loza underscore Tam.
2: There you have it, guys. Head over to SideHustlePro.co slash LozaTam for all of the show notes from this episode, including the links and the website link for LozaTam mentioned in this episode. And if you guys would like to shop LozaTam, Click on Lozatam.com, that's L-O-Z-A-T-A-M.com, slash pro to get 10% off of your purchase. Thank you so much, Tamara, for providing that. You are so And welcome. thanks so much for joining us. Talk to you next week, guys. Hey, hey, thanks for listening. Now stay connected in between episodes by texting Side Hustle pro to 44222. You'll get my weekly six bullet Saturday newsletters where I share what I'm up to, what I'm reading, my business tip of the week, and resources to help you grow your side hustle. And I'm working behind the scenes on some live events, which my email list will get access to first. So make sure you're in the loop. Text Side Hustle Pro to 44222 or visit sidehustlepro.co/sbs.